there was one gentleman, and, and I've seen this a few times, that have kind of actively sponsored women. So, you know, making sure their voices are heard in rooms, you know, taking their ideas and attributing those ideas back to the women, you know, expanding their networks by letting the women shadow them to meetings so that they get in the right rooms, giving them examples of their work to say, look, this is what it, it this is sort of work and decisions that I need to make at this level. So it's visibility, it's role models, it's opening up their network. So, I mean, that male allyship is hugely important because it's still mostly men that are in those positions of power. So we need to kind of pull them out. But a lot of the conversations I've had with those senior men was we want to help, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know where to start. Welcome to That's What She Said, the podcast for empowering women. My name is Lucienne Shakir and as a female empowerment specialist, I'm a woman who knows what it's like to lose their mind through a lacking of female sense of self and identity. My aim is to share stories from women around the world to help you see that you are not on your own. If you feel that you are lost in the sea of who am I, these collections of conversations are for you. Sit back and enjoy listening to this phenomenal collective of female voices in That's What She Said. In today's That's What She Said, I am joined by the incredible Vanessa Vallelli. I am a serious fan of this inspirational woman who has received an OBE for her services to women in economy, has written an incredible book called Heels of Steel, and is the owner and creator of wearethecity.com, which progresses women in the workplace. And I am so in awe of the work that she has achieved so far to date. We talk all things male allies, uh, being a woman in the corporate world, being a mother, the frustrations that we might have lived through. And it was truly incredible to hear her story. I was so inspired and I'm thrilled that she joined me on this episode. I hope you enjoy. Okay, well, I will say that I'm a bit of a fangirl of Vanessa Bellelli. I, um, I I have a book here and um, I, I've spent a long time kind of looking at and watching women who are creating places for other women to thrive. And you are one of those women. You've created a massive environment for women to thrive. Would you mind telling me a little bit a, about yourself, but also We Are The City as well? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Okay, so my background, left school at 16, grew up in East London, didn't really have that many great GCSEs, but I had big dreams, big ambitions, kind of headed into the city with nothing to lose, I think. So managed to get myself a job in a bank, God knows how, after experiencing lots of no's. And I think, and I always talk about this, I think there was a lot of conscious bias going on in those days. You know, I didn't have the right postcode, didn't have the right accent, but I did get a job in a bank and then I got... Um, they didn't really sack me. They just wanted to relocate me. <laughs> so um, I lost that job after about six months. But that was my first kind of flash at resilience, I think, you know, having to pick yourself up and think about, you know, the way that you could have dealt with a situation in a slightly different way. But what followed then is a lot of kind of punching above my weight, I always describe it as, you know, going for jobs. I didn't necessarily feel 
qualified for. And that often breaks the stereotype of when we talk about women that go for jobs, they deselect themselves. They'll only go for jobs if they're, you know, a, a very high percentage qualified. I didn't really feel like that. I went for things that I had no chance of getting on the off chance that I might just get it. Um, so kind of different mindset. But again, I had nothing to lose. And, and some of those jobs I managed to get and I'd learn in the background. I didn't really discover the benefit of networking or mentoring or sponsorship or anything at that point. But I just think for a lot of it, it was just sheer hard work, determination, putting my hand up for the work that no one else wanted to do. And a, and a few, you know, good blokes like champion sponsors that gave me the opportunity to do, you know, just listen to this girl saying, oh, give me a shot. You know, if, if I do it wrong, you can kick me out the door and just being hell bent on not doing it wrong or doing it to the best that I could. So I think that opened a lot of kind of doors of opportunity, that attitude of I'll do whatever it takes, you know, to get the job done and pre-kids like being able to put in silly hours and stuff like that and fly around the world at a drop of a hat which kind of changed when I had kids because I couldn't do that and I had a husband that also had a global job so it would be a whose trip was more important you know and also obviously the kids have to come top of that so that's when it got a little bit more complicated but I worked in nine different kind of financial Mm. institutions a lot of what I did was support senior leaders mostly male And that led to my frustration about the lack of women around my leadership table, you know, and women that were only in supporting roles rather than decision-making roles. So I wanted to change that. So 13 years ago, just got frustrated. I was saying to my husband, where's my website? You know, a senior woman, where's my inspiration? You know, I don't leave my desk. Where can I network? Where can I find out stuff? And it was a culmination of a conversation with him, another lady called Maggie Berry that used to run Women in Technology. Um, and she was going, oh, go to the women's networks. I was like, oh, no, why would I want to go to one of them? You know, it pains me, it burns me to even say those words now, but it was true because I thought they would be detrimental to my career. You know, <laughs> why don't I want to hang out with loads of women? But deep down I did. Um, I needed that kind of that sisterhood. So decided that we was going to build a website that was just full of resources. We would fund it. Didn't have no idea about corporate sponsorship at the time, but we would fund it. And we would put everything on that was going on for women. And there was about four things back in those days going on for women. It was a very, very slow news day from a journalist perspective. There was a couple of women's networks that were mostly <laughs> entrepreneurial. They were, you know, same sort of women. And I want to create something where anyone could rock up, regardless of their industry, regardless of, you know, their background, where they came from, whether they did well in school, whether they didn't, and just feel part of a community. Um, so that's kind of what we created and built for the best part of seven years. And then if I'm completely honest, you know, I got a big job and I remember walking into the big job on day one and I knew I didn't really want to be there because my heart wasn't in it anymore. I'd done 25 years in finance and I still love that world and I still do. I just get the opportunity to work with it and then leave now. That's the difference. Um, but I just wanted to create and, and just do something that I felt was fulfilling that I felt gave me a sense of purpose. And I just wasn't finding that in banking. Found it in the tech stuff, but not necessarily in finance. <laughs> so I made a big decision to kind of hang up my corporate boot. Yeah. I'd just written Heels of Steel and just go and, and see what I could do or how I could earn a living, which didn't work out very well initially. Because when you go from a good job that kind of pays well and has all the trimmings to all of a sudden, you know, you're responsible for the next pint of milk. Um, it's it's a big transition and also you have to multi-hat and be everything you know fix the printer be the marketing manager be the finance officer you know in and I mean I was lucky enough to I wrote a business plan out and it, I mean I look back at it now and it's laughable it solves world peace um it goes on for pages and pages it's not the you know the pitch that you should have had 
But it was good to kind of get that out. And I sent it off to a couple of people to tear apart before I thought of pitching to anyone. And one of the one of the guys that I sent it back to is a gentleman I used to work for. He come back and he went, I'll fund it. So he gave me a little bit of capital to get an office and to get my first member of staff, which was my old PA, um, who lived locally, who didn't want to do the city thing anymore. So she'd come and join me. She's still with me now. Um, and she's like my right arm. Um, so we kind of built it from scratch, but we had no products then. I think all we had was what was the network of networks, which is now gender networks. But there was no Rising Star Awards. There was no We Are Tech Women's site. There was no big events, any events that we did. We had a big launch event at House of Fraser's, which Stuart and I used our savings for, which was a fab event. And the first bit of press we ever got, because it was we launched on the week that the markets were falling all over themselves um, out in Asia. And there was a big City AM headline, you know, as the markets fall, the girls go shopping because they were lining up around the building at the House of Fraser for our launch event. So not really the press that we want, but shows you the kind of stereotypes that, that was there, you know, um, even at the time. But all PR is good PR. So I was told, but I was, I was a little bit mortified. But that was our kind of first event. I mean, we've run over 130 different events now. And obviously, the latterly this year, kind of more online stuff, more globalization of what we do. And there's, there's an abundance of products. Every year, the kind of list gets bigger to try and help companies to attract, retain and develop their female talent, but also to keep providing resources to women because now the landscape's so different. You know, there are 2,000 women's networks that we know yeah. about across the UK. So you can go to the opening of an envelope to learn and network. And it wasn't like that when we first started. You know, we were scrabbling around for things to go to. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought of focusing on women as a point of, you know, it will actually attribute to the bottom line of businesses. There was no research or anything. I think it was only when Lord Davis come along a couple of years after us and said, you know, more women should be on boards. And that kind of shone a spotlight as well on more senior women because we get more senior women in the boardrooms where make better decisions and there'll be, you know, hopefully more women in lower levels in organisations will follow. So, yeah, it's been a massive big change. But mm -hmm. today we are the city, 160,000 women. We've got the We Are The City site. We've got We Are Tech Women. They both provide resources. They've both got awards associated with them. They've both got conferences, loads of free webinars. I think about 20,000 different articles you can read on your career. But we very much use it as a platform to amplify the voices of women and to shine a spotlight on women's achievements. So that it's is incredible of what we do. Yeah. So I love shining a spotlight on someone that perhaps hasn't been thrown into that spotlight, but they're super incredibly amazing. And we can say, look at her, like, isn't she amazing? Look at the stuff that she's doing. And then everyone comes out and goes, whoa, she's amazing. She's amazing. And you can just see that confidence building from the screen. And we're like, you know, we played a tiny part in that, but the women were amazing long before we come along, but we've got a, quite a big mouth over at We Are The City. So, yeah, I, I love it. That's the best part of my job, <laughs> seeing everyone wade in and say how wonderful something. Oh, I love it. I love it. And that energy is massive. And did you did you have any idea of what it was going to become? Because in the book, In Heels of Steel, you talk about you and your husband being on holiday. Yeah. And it being something that you wrote down. And um, when you were sat there and you had this, vision of what you wanted to do did you ever imagine that it would be what it is now no. I mean you've been awarded an OBE for your services it was a hobby it was I mean when we sat when we had that annual weekend away from the kids and again over a bottle of wine we mapped out what we other city would become you know I told you we thought it was going to change the world and I think I write about it in the book, I run my best friend and I was like, I've had this idea, you know, we can't, we don't know where to go find resources. And she quite happily admits she kind of wasn't as ambitious as me. And she was like, I just don't get it. I'm like, you're my best friend. 
friend, you're supposed to get everything I do. Tell me it's a great idea, even if it's not. So, yeah, I don't think, and, and again, there was another conversation I had with a lovely lady, but she went, how are you ever going to earn a living doing that? You know, and I still earn a living. You know, it's not the living that I earn in banking, but it gives me a greater sense of purpose. You know, but I remember questioning it because she like mm-hmm. had her own business and she was really successful. And I thought, well, if she can't see a way of it ever being a thing, should I just give up now? You know, and I'm really glad I didn't because now it is a thing. And it's so a way. It's a very special thing, you know, and, and I get to kind of hang out with incredible women like you. So... Yeah, I'm I'm happy that I, I kind of, and again, a point I want to make here, sometimes, you know, other people very, um, they don't mean to, but they can destroy, destroy your dreams if you take someone's opinion and you think, you take that as de facto and, and that's that, you know, and then you don't bother pursuing things because no one's ever done it before or, you know, the model's never been there before. And my advice to anyone that has that, if you've got a dream, you know, it's, Sometimes you're in charge of that journey. So, yeah, just follow it. Mm, Amazing. Um, Absolutely incredible. So you mentioned that you have this this mindset that perhaps is the polar opposite to what we see in a lot of women who will, you know, if they're going for a senior position – they say, I only know 60% of the job yeah. and therefore I'm, I'm not going to go for it. So where do you think that mindset comes from? I think it's my, I think it's growing up. I, th- I definitely think it's that. I just think it was, again, anything I got was a bonus. And I still feel like that sometimes, you know, when we get an opportunity, we work with a client or we we put something out there and it goes really well, you know, every, every day is a blessing. So it's like, why would you not go and try for, try for something? And again, I think because of where, because of kind of growing up and I love my roots, so it taught me so much that, as I say, no college or university could have taught me. But we've just, I mean, it's a, it's, my family are um, very East End on one side. Um, so there's a saying that we know how to make a pan note right so whether that's you know on a market store or whatever we can turn our hands to most things so I suppose there's a little bit of Cockney Barra girl in me you know that that comes up with ideas and this might not work and I'm not that frightened to take risk I've got more risk averse when I had kids because I couldn't be as flippant you know when you've got mortgages and stuff like that but even some of the things we do now obviously being a small company with we're fairly agile. So sometimes I'll try something. Not everything's worked. Like Rising Stars now, very successful. We actually tried to launch Rising Stars two years before what everyone saw as the date. And we put these awards out because no one really knew who we was. And we wasn't kind of a reputable organization in everyone's eyes or we weren't there with the big players. No one entered. You know, I don't know if anyone knows that story, but literally no one entered. So we come up with our own. Oh, my goodness. uh, Ten or 11 women that we took out for dinner. Amazing. But, you know, that and then two years later, we come back and we did it again. And we had we done it with 50 women and people did apply, you know. And then, I mean, now it's the it's the big thing that it is where we've got partnerships, where we support those women after the awards. So, yeah, I think it's very much a case of taking a bit of risk, belief in yourself. And everything I do isn't off the back of just Vanessa, right? There is a huge army of people now around me that mm-hmm. share my passion, that open up doors of opportunity, that introduce me to people. So I pay that forward all the time. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without my brilliant team at We Are The City and without these incredible women and men that believe in what we do and sponsor us and give us ideas, mm-hmm. tell us sometimes where we need to tweak things. So it's a journey. 
um, but I'm certainly not alone on it. No. And you know what? You didn't pull the ladder up behind you, which is something that we see a lot when women re- reach. We used to see it a lot when women yeah, reach a certain so position anymore. and then they pull the ladder up. Not so much anymore. So I'd love to know, you have you have a couple of daughters, don't you, I think? I do. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Are you happier about the world that they're stepping into today compared to the world that you not yet no by the time kind of my eldest daughter goes into the world of work she finishes uni in three years time these things will still exist right if you look at things like world economic forum some of the you know the major kind of think tanks you know we're still fighting gender parity in 120 years so by no means is she going to walk into a world of where everything is equal she will certainly go in to a world where pay gap is measured where there's equal pay where there is now a more focus on opportunities for men and women at the same level, but we're still on that journey. And maybe when she gets to a senior position in our organisation, I would like to think that we're still not having these conversations. But I think we are a good few years away where it won't be a new story when a woman becomes a CEO of a male-dominated area of business where it isn't a new story that a woman happens to be sitting in parliament passing a bill while breastfeeding her kids you know so you know we've got a long way to go until these new stories are not new stories anymore but I think they're entering a much better world than I did Mm. and I think you know people like me you and and so many other um, amazing women that are doing things to make sure that there is a level playing field for women we're paying the price for that generation and I'm more than happy to do that you know, so that their kids won't experience, mm-hmm. they look back on this like, my kids go, did women really not be able to vote? No. And it wasn't a country mile ago, really, <laughs> that, that 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 was the case. You know, in some countries, still the same. So, you know, I hope that things will change in the near term, but certainly by my grandchildren, by the time I have my grandchildren, when I'm sitting in my dog cafe knitting, you know, I'll go, oh, I played a little part in that. <laughs> you play a very very big part which is which is why I was so keen to have you on the podcast because you know when when I was introduced to you um someone asked me have you heard of Vanessa Valeri and I I think my response was are you serious is that a serious question you know what I do you know and you know it's just wonderful to be able to to talk to like-minded people and like you say it's not just women there are there are now more men than ever supporting the cause of equality which I think is amazing Yeah. yeah I'd love to know what examples have you seen of excellent kind of support where we really have seen a a difference being made in the corporate world have you got any examples to give us some hope there was one gentleman and I've seen this a few times that have kind of actively sponsored women so you know making sure their voices are heard in rooms you know taking their ideas and attributing those ideas back to the women, you know, expanding their networks by letting the women shadow them to meetings so that they get in the right rooms, giving them examples of their work to say, look, this is what it, it this is sort of work and decisions that I need to make at this level. So it's visibility, it's role models, it's opening up their network. So, I mean, that male allyship is hugely important because it's still mostly men that are in those be. positions of power. So, we need to kind of pull them out. But a lot of the conversations I've had with those senior men was we want to help, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know where to start. And, it, and you know, there isn't an assumption that men should naturally know 
how to bring, they know how to bring talent on, but should it be any different for women? I'm not sure. But sometimes I think because it is and because there's so much focus on gender equality, the, the gentlemen get a little bit nervous. So I think we have to be a little bit, you know, thought, thoughtful around explaining how that looks like and tangible examples of how they can support. You know, if a woman's being talked over in a mm. meeting, make sure that you kind of, you know, you amplify that woman's voice and that you hear that. And you make sure that other people have acknowledged that you're hearing that because she was being talked over. Making sure that her, her idea is heard. Mm. That is a fantastic idea. Giving her back that confidence, you know, that she doesn't feel an imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome in that room. So there are so many things that men can do. Calling out that, you know, when stereotypes are batted across a room or where there is obvious bias, you know, in rooms that perhaps women are not in when they're putting people into hiring positions or, you know, they're talking about talent attraction, making sure that that, that that women are part of that conversation when they're building products and services. You know, if it's a room full of men doing that, um, how's that going to support, you know, women that are perhaps going to buy the product or women that are going to use the product? So look around the room. It's not just women as well. It's people from diverse backgrounds. You know, because it's pointless. We can't mm. create things in in an echo chamber, you know, or just having the same people around the table. It's got to change. It has got to change. Oh, I completely agree. And you know, there's something that that I find really difficult in my line of work, and that is we're seeing more women going into into tech. We're seeing more women, do, you know traversing that journey into the male-dominated industries, not as much as we'd like, but we are seeing that shift. But what we're also seeing is women around the senior tables, around those board tables, quitting after 20 years because they're sick of it. And so we're losing female talent at the very top in droves. And I just wonder what we can do to – I'm in a bit of a pickle because – a lot of those women come to me for support to yep. set up their own businesses. But actually, in my heart, I want the corporate world to be more inclusive to them. So how do we do that? Because it's not designed I, for women, is I it, really? I think there is an aspect of longevity that you can do in a corporate environment, right? I mean, I did 25 years. And it wasn't so much I was sick of it. I just felt that there was another purpose that I wanted. You know, there was something that I needed to fulfill and I wasn't quite sure what it was and I didn't think I was going to get it in the corporate world. And I also think now, you know, we've got the rise of the portfolio career where you can sit on a couple of boards, where you can dip in and out of a corporate and feel like you're part of that but not have the pressures that come with it and earn quite nicely off the back of that. Mm. You can set up your own business and your side hustle. And if you boil all of that down, it's all about being in charge of our own time. Right. So having the flexibility, because, again, when you get to a senior position and I hate to put an age on it, but you realize that life is very short. Right. So, you know, you want to do the things that you love. You don't want to be tied to a desk, you know, for many, many hours. But a lot of us get caught up in that piece around, you know, we earn a salary and we have things that 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 salary maintains. So you can't just whimsically walk away from that. You know, when I did that, it was a big discussion in our household. We were cutting the household income by 50%. You know, things were going to have to change. Things were going to have to adapt. And we all bought into that, that life would be different, but mum would be happier, you know. So, and I'd get more time with the kids. So, you know, and also I'd get to support my husband that had supported my career for for many, many years. Um, So I do think there is an element of I've had enough. I want to go off and do something else. 
I do think if companies were smart, they'd let women have portfolio careers whilst they're still employed. So perhaps keep their senior women, but let them do three days if that's what they want. Let them go off and spin up a business. You know, let them go off and do other things so that they feel equally fulfilled, that they can have a little bit of everything. And why should we not when we've worked all those years? You know, we've put our effort in. Why can we not just have that variety? I would say as well that a lot of what we've we've spoken about is about networking, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Oh, absolutely. And the men know each other. They play golf with one another. They, you know, I am massively generalizing here, but we've got an institution that's been created over generations of men networking with one another and a few select women. Now we've got more women coming into the fold. What things are you seeing that are actually like we are the city? Um, I'm seeing more women's golfing groups being set up to like actually make that community more inclusive for women. Is there anything that you've seen that you quite like the look of? Or are there any projects that you're thinking of creating? It's a well, bit of a crazy first question. Of all, we have to be really careful that, you know, we talk about women having stereotypes that we don't stereotype the men. Right. So not every man plays golf. Not every man builds their network on a golf course. But also not every man has network or feels comfortable in that. And I've done many sessions with men where they're saying, you know, don't assume we've got we're natural networkers. You know, I remember having a conversation with my husband about it. And I'm like, how do you network? And he's like, I don't even put a label on it. There's not even a name to it, Ness. We're having a conversation, we're building relationships. That's all it is. And I thought, God, that is so uncomplicated for them. May, are we are we blowing this up to be something bigger than what it is? Because you know, if I was standing at a bus stop, I'd have a con- I might spark up a conversation. I'm a talker anyway, um, but I might spark up a conversation with you if I'm talking to someone in the ladies at the school gate, wherever we was. All of that is building a network, making relationships. So I think what companies need to do is to perhaps remove the networking label, the scary bit, and just create environments where people yeah. can meet and connect. And we can do that ourselves, right? So I think sometimes that pressure that I've got to walk into a room and make these connections just makes you feel like you don't want to do it. Even if you're a confident person and you love other people's stories, it can be daunting walking into a room where you don't know anyone. So I think what I would say is, mm-hmm. have I seen anything? I see, for example, even the internal women's networks, of which I run gender networks. There's 95 firms associated with that. But what they're trying to foster is a more inclusive environment to men because we're very much in danger of let's keep locking women in rooms with other women, but, you know, you're preaching to the converted. Mm -hmm. And how will the men ever get exposure to these massively talented women if we're all locked in a room together? So what the gender networks are trying to do is to reframe the opportunity within those networks so that they're inclusive to all because we can't beat up the fellas for not including us if we're doing things that don't include the men now that's very ironic coming from me because I run we are the city right for women we don't stop men coming to our event (laughs) but I'm trying to solve a problem on particular industries where there is not gender parity within women within those industries or within those senior positions. So we've never shut men out of our events. You know, we don't block them from the websites or anything, but we are talking to women about things that they can do to kind of push their careers. But I would say, you know, the things that I think are going to work in the future, we're all in this together. We will never achieve gender parity if we go on our own. You know, we have to go as a collective. I love that. 
It's, that's absolutely phenomenal. And working together for that is, you know, for all diversities, all backgrounds, it's so, so important. The more diversity we have in those rooms. I love what you say about locking all the women in the room in this echo chamber. And if it doesn't come out, then. Yeah. And, you know, what you're, what you're saying is right, Vanessa. You know, the balance isn't is skewed at the moment. Once the balance is a little bit more level, then the energy that I'm willing to put in, that you're willing to put in, can go across the board a little bit more. Yeah. But at the moment, it's about supporting the women to get that balance up. Just well, we need to get bit. them in the rooms in the first place. That's the thing. You know, yeah. to make sure that there are clear pathways. And you're quite right. I mean, that old boys club, it does still exist, right? But it's not. So it may not be on the golf course. It may not be in boxes at football or whatever. But there is definitely a back to the point that you made around who you know and how opportunities get propagated through our organisations. So if you and I are fellas and we're up the pub, oh, there's a job going in that department, that's as good, that's that's the intro right there. So we might not be in the pub, right, because we're on our way home to do the kids or to mm. another p- passion that we might have that's not children, that's not caring. We've missed that opportunity. So it's how how do we make things like that fair, so that everyone hears about that opportunity. It's not just who you know. So I think there needs to be some transparency that's done kind of around that. I mean, I remember in some of my jobs back in the day, roles weren't even advertised internally. We already knew who was going to get them. You know, they, it was a shoe-in that it was someone else's mate or you wouldn't even bother going for it because, you know, that one's been that one's number two. They're always together. They're going to get the job, you know, so you deselect yourself. Still very common. Or I will throw myself into the mix just to Mm. cause trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, So coming back to your story, I would love for you to share, for people who haven't read the book, to share a little bit about your upbringing in in London, if you would. Well, it was was interesting, right? So... As I said earlier on, I learned a hell of a lot of things that no university or college could have taught me because I learned about inclusion at its heart. I mean, in my tower block, and again, no sob story, I love where I lived. It was a council flat. We lived on the 18th floor. But there was people from all different backgrounds in that in that block. And, you know, if someone didn't have a bit of money or they didn't have a bit of milk, the mums would run across the landings and kind of give each other. There was a... Jamaican family that lived next door to me. She used to take me to school and cook me the odd dinner, plait my hair in the morning. You know, everyone mucked in. And I remember my mum got ill. She got shingles. And I was basically looked after by everyone on the flat, everyone on the flats on that floor. So that was kind of life as it was. But again, a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a sense of helping each other. So probably that explains a little bit why I'm the way that I am, that I know that you should always kind of help someone else if you can. And I kind of owe that debt to the women that helped my mum as a single mum kind of on her own. And then moving to a kind of bigger estate where there was like 13 kids. I think there was only two of us that had a full set of parents. But we were, you know, we were like little street rats in all fairness. You know, we got into trouble. But again, that sense of kind of, and I'm still friends with so many of them now, But and, and they've all gone on to kind of bigger and better things, but we've all still got that in us, you know, that well, that's where we come from, and I and I love my I love I wouldn't change a thing. It was rocky in places. I won't, but you know I won't look back it through rose mm-hmm. glasses. But everything there was a lesson, you know, and a lesson for me, and something that shaped the way me and all of my friends are. That 
ability to survive against all odds, the fact that people are going to cast assumptions about your black background or your accent or the fact that you didn't do very well in school. And I think it made us all more passionate to succeed because when I think of all of them, every single one of them has gone on to do well in some particular guise, you know, in their chosen professions or setting up their own businesses. So, yeah, I I wouldn't go back and change and change a thing. You know, there was the things that people experienced in school, bullying, you know, because, um, you know, we didn't have much money and stuff like that. And my mum's quite eccentric in the way that she dresses and she made sure I was. So I stuck out like a sore thumb. I often say that I look like I'd walk, <laughs> run through a very colourful wardrobe in, in treacle um, and kind of come out the other end, which I think, again, plays into my sartorial um, elegance when I was in corporate and why I was so obsessed with the clothes that I wore because I just looked back at my yellow scarves and orange tights and red skirts when I was a kid. Um, and we laugh about that. My mum still dresses at me. You know, she hasn't changed, even at nearly 70. She still rocks like leopard skin silver boots in her 70s, you know. But it's why we love her. I like the sound of her. I absolutely, and I like the sound of her in the book as well. I think um, I think that's a fantastic story. A what do you do then, Vanessa, to ensure that your girls stay grounded? Because you've obviously built, you know, success. And your girls don't know that life. What, no. what do you do to it? Do you know, so it was always a concern because I think anyone that's kind of come from that kind of humble beginnings, you do your utmost to unpick that for your kids, which isn't always the right way. And I always wanted to make sure that my kids knew that if you want something in life, you've got to work for it. So I'm not going to give them anything on a spoon. Don't get me wrong. I've done, I've done things. I've made sure from a very young age that they, you know, they know that the world isn't flat and that not everyone's from our background or stuff like that. So they're very aware. I mean, my husband grew up in North London as well. So we very much kept those London roots regardless of where we lived. I mean, I dragged, I've dragged them all over the world, you know, with me on my travels, everywhere I worked, I'd made sure that I took them back. You know, in some instances, you know, when you can hop on a plane for 29 quid, that's what it costs to go to Alton Towers. Why am I not going to hop on a plane with them? I mean, my carbon footprint, I'm ashamed of that. But I used to take them to different places in Europe for just a day or two days. When they were little, I bought a big world map. And what we would do is we'd choose a place on the map. I'd check out the flights, make sure it weren't too expensive, for I promised we were going there. Um, but we'd cook a meal from that country. <laughs> we'd learn about that country. Bear in mind they were little, right? So they were peachy keen. And then we'd go. You know, so they all went. Mm. So, and we travelled all over Europe. And when I gave up um, corporate, I took them away for five weeks. We literally hopped on planes with a carry-on. It was super smelly by the end of it, but it that was my kind of oh my god, that's amazing. Just showing them different places in the world, and they are very the pair of them of uh, they've grown up with everything I could wish for in terms of their inclusive minds and their attitudes towards what's right and what's wrong you know, and they're, they're kind of, you know, the way that they welcome everyone regardless. So if that's the only job I had to do as a parent, that's the one tick I've got that I look at the pair of them. I look at what they share on social media. I look at what they're studying. I look at their charity work and stuff like that. I mean, my daughter's a, um, for MS week, she's been a campaigner um, and she really lacked confidence and 
She has been starting to do a little Instagram blog about her, her diagnosis with MS. And then this week she was asked to do some stuff for the MS Society and an opportunity to come up to be on ITV. Now, I thought she had run a country mile, but she said, Mum, I'm going to do it because I want to dispel the myths about young people with multiple sclerosis. And I would have put my money on the fact she would never go onto television. I've got that fear. And I think I'll probably put that into her. But she's done it. And, you know, I'm very, I'm so, so proud of her. So for that, it's hard to get parenting right, right? No one gives you a book and says, this is how it works. And all the difficult things, let alone, Mm. you know, illnesses and stuff like that that get thrown into the mix. You just got to do your best and hope that they turn out all right. You know, they're not always sunshine and light. They can be like mm. picky moves, um, you know, sometimes. But it's a very opinionated <laughs> household, right? Everyone's got an opinion, especially when we get into yeah. politics. Good. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple more kind of factual things around what you're doing. One is around the One Tech World, which is coming up. It might even have happened by the time that the podcast is released. Yeah. So, um, are you excited about that? What I'm worn out. What kind of drives? <laughs> yeah, that can't, I can't. I mean, it happens in May. Um, I start building it in January. I sit at my dining room table and say, right, what conference we want want to put on? What do the ladies want to learn? I do a lot of focus groups with women in tech, and then I start with my mad box of post its, posting what I think we need to do, and then ratifying that with other people, and then it becomes a website, and then it becomes a thing that I talk to sponsors about. And then it becomes a big, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger till it's like what it is now. Three days, 160 speakers, global. And it's the most fantastic thing, but the scariest thing that we do, right? So it's, this conference has been around for five years. It was a physical thing. We've virtualized it in the last two years, but it's incredible. I mean, our youngest speaker's 13, our oldest is in her 80s. You know, it's the front to the back of tech. Even if you're not in tech, everyone, everyone will be a technologist. Look up of years, right? So if you think about what we do every day, it's all technology. Mm-hmm. So why would we not want to know about some of this stuff? Yeah. Security, artificial intelligence. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to a chatbot. How's that working? So I think, you know, it's for everyone, and whether they're in tech or whether they're not. The reason we do it, the percentage number for women in tech is 17% in the UK, 16% globally. It's not good enough. The girls are not taking STEM subjects, even though we do better in boys than boys when we do take them. We're losing them to other industries. So technology is the massive enabler that got us through the pandemic. It is the absolute future of everything that we do. We should all be up to speed with technology and where it's going because it will touch everyone's jobs. So this is the conference. This is what we're doing. It's very exciting. 20 companies, uh, BAE Systems, the Goldman Sachs, the PwCs have all kind of got behind us to do it because all of them have a problem with women in tech as well in terms of attracting the numbers that we need. And if you look at the government in the UK, we've got this huge digital skills gap. What are we going to do about it? You know, how we compete in, in global markets when we have this massive big gap? And women are, what, 50% of the population. It's only it's only obvious that we would kind of you know move into that industry so so that's why we're doing it um you know and the whole thing around we are tech women and that website giving women opportunities to mentor to be role models to go into school and dispel some myths let us shine a spotlight on them through the tech women 100 awards let's continue to kind of upskill you know and fill in those gaps that we may not be too sure about with webinar with um, you know podcasts episodes and things like that so yeah I'm on a mission on the tech side I've always been a technologist you know in my banking world so I started in tech it's a natural thing for me that even then you know I think the number hasn't moved in that since then if anything it's probably gone the other way who knows 
well, whatever I can do to support. I mean, I'm going, and I'm the least tech savvy person in the world. I'm gonna, I'm coming and watching. I'm taking notes for three days. I'm gonna be learning about. I'm one of those people who who does go. How is this bot talking to me? Like, I I just can't get it. Um, So, another question that I want to ask is about your OBE. I haven't done any research. What's the difference between an MBE and an OBE? How were you awarded that? What 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 was the process? So apparently somebody sent my nomination was in for about four years, which I found out afterwards. So somebody nominates you for what you've done, showing the impact, and then other people write letters to support that. I know this now because I've done about five nominations for other people, that part of that paying it forward. And then you send it off and it goes Mm. into this abyss, which is the cabinet office. And from what I understand, a group of individuals sit around, they go through all the nominations. And then dependent on the differences, I think an MBE is more community work. An OBE is more kind of community with a business impact. And then you've got CBEs. So these are like the big CEOs and people like that. And then you've got dames. Love to be a dame. Dame Vanessa. I love the sound of that. Um, <laughs> in my dotage. Um, and then you've got the damehoods and the knighthoods and things like that. But, but um, before the MBE, I think there's a BEM. As, again, they're more kind of community-based. But you can get people that get MBEs, that get OBEs afterwards because they continue to do great work. The bottom line of that is it's a fantastic platform to do more. So, and it opens up doors of opportunity for you to do more. It kind of carries that weight that, you know, mm. I'm really you know, I'm really embedded in kind of what I do and I'm passionate about it. And, you know, how can I use that again to get some of the stuff done, whatever space that you're in that you need to kind of get done. So um, I got mine, mm. the story, I got, I'd, I'd nominated someone else for an honours letter and we'd moved house and my post was on redirect. And my mum rang up and she said, I've got a, a brown envelope here from the cabinet office. So I said, oh, yeah, I know what it is. It's a, probably an acknowledgement from a, an honours nomination that I'd done for someone else. So she said, do you want me to open it? So I said, yeah, yeah, fine, open it. So she was on loudspeaker. I was driving. The kids were in the back. And she went, it's not about anyone else. It's about you. I won't say because you'll have to bleep it out. You've got a OBE. And honestly, I nearly crashed the car. So the kids are already going onto social media going, mum's got an award. And I'm like, no, because oh you're not allowed God. to say anything. You can't tell anyone for weeks. So that was the most painful thing, not being able to tell anyone until they announce it. Um, and then it takes about six months, and, or it can be a bit less than that before you actually get to go to Buckingham Palace. But that was just a magical day. You know, I took my mum and my dad. It was a memory. It's a picture mm. in my mind that I'll never forget that we got to go there as a family. The kids came. My husband came. Um, yeah, it was just oh, it was an amazing day of celebration. So, yeah, it's, it was fantastic. But, again, a platform to do more. Um. So you're you're aiming for a, the damehood. I'm aiming for a rising star. A rising star. I got nominated. I didn't make I didn't make the shortlist this, this year, and I think my mum actually nominated me. So uh, it's all right. I'm going to keep going. It's fuel. It's power. All power to us. The competition so. of those awards is incredible. I mean, we had what 1,300 nominations this year. They are God. Yeah, I mean, and, it's incredible. And one of our ladies. This is her third year. It's her third year and she's just been shortlisted. So she's like, I'm on it. I'm going to win this year, you know. It's a funny thing. I mean, I, I judge probably 12, 12 different awards a year. I don't judge my own. It's so di- – because, A, I know a lot of the people that kind of nominate there, but also 
I want you all to win. I could, I, I take my hat off to my judges every year. Yeah. And I read the nominations and it is so yeah. difficult. What, what, how, do, how do you do that? You know, which is why we have 50, 50 odd, 60 judges. We need a lot of people to read those nominations, you know, and to calibrate that, to come up with that list. But anyone who's been nominated should be proud enough anyway. I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible that the acknowledgement of, of these women, the whole thing, the, the, the fact that it exists, but also the women who are reading those applications, the people who are sending in the nominations, yeah, just the, the, like you say, the paying it forward. I just think it's so incredible. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. And um, honestly, for what you've done for women in the city, in the corporate world, in tech, um, I am so pleased that you have been you know, awarded for that work because it gives you the fuel to keep going. It's like somebody can see me, someone can see what I'm doing. So it's amazing. Um, So last question before we go, what's next for you? What's the thing that you still really want to do that you haven't yet accomplished? Oh, what do I still want to do? Um, I definitely think what's next after the tech conference, I'm going to have a little bit of a break because I've been nonstop since the start of the year and working out how to survive last year, you know, with with changing things. So I think what's next is a little bit of a break uh, for a few weeks, which is awful for me because I always say I'm going to break for a few weeks and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to come up with another idea. My team are all going to duck under the desk and go, oh, my God, she's created another monster. So that's probably what's going to happen. I can't Sounds see. like someone I know. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like <laughs> yet, but I know I'll come up because the minute I give myself space to think, that's it, the idea starts surfacing. What are the things I'd like to do outside of work? So I've got this kind of dream I will have my own side hustle. Um, you know, most people know by now I'm a bit of a crazy dog lady, right? So I've got my three dogs and I'd love to have like a little dog cafe. It's a dog cafe, but it kind of incorporates loads of other things. I think, again, it's kind of out in the open now. I've become a bit of a secret crafter uh, during lockdown and making things. I did a floristry diploma and all sorts of things like that. So my little dog cafe will sell little things I've made. They'll sell little olives, little cakes and stuff like that. So that's where you'll find me in my dotage. But it's something. It's a little business that I would like to set up on the side whilst I'm still doing kind of We Are The City because, again, you get – when I worked in corporate, gender was a passion and a hobby, and but it wasn't my job. Gender's my job now. So, so you still need another mm. outlet, and I don't feel bad in saying that, of something else that you're equally passionate about. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love a little shop, a little dog cafe where I just got to play with dogs all day. Well, I will. When you when you cut that ribbon on that cafe, I will come along with Molly. I'll Thank be there with dog. bells on, the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Vanessa, you've been amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Where can we check you out? Where can we find out more about what you do? Well, go and have a look at We Are The City. That's the first thing. Loads of resources on there for all sorts of people, you know, career advice, webinars that you can tune into. I think it's 120 of them you can do on playback. We do them every single week. Uh, loads of networks, you know, it's not just we are the city. We're Imagine us like, we, you know, we promote what everyone else is doing. Um, so there's loads of things, regardless of what industry you're at. So check that out. If you're in tech, go to We Are Tech Women. You can find me on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, various different accounts um, on there. If you want to follow my flower arranging, you can even find that one. Um, but generally, I'm around on LinkedIn. <laughs> that seems to be the main, the main port of choice. So, yeah, I'd love to talk to you all. I'm a fan of all my haters. Must be doing something right. 
what a phenomenal woman Vanessa is and I'm so so glad that she was with us to share her story if you would like to go and check out wearethecity.com have a read of her book it's incredible Heels of Steel is a phenomenal account of her journey as a woman into the corporate world I urge you to to grab a hold I urge you to grab a hold of that and give it a read Um, and I urge you to join me on the next episode of That's What She Said where we share our stories of female empowerment and we support one another in our journeys um, to share those stories take care Thank you for joining us on another episode of That's What She Said. This is a phenomenal collective of female voices from around the world. And I'm sharing that to empower women to share our stories so that you know that you are not alone. I'm a woman who's gone through it all. Honestly, there is nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before, either with my clients or through my own life journey. And we need to stop hiding behind the veneer of perfection. These stories are important and we need to share them loudly and proudly. And that's what we're doing on this series of That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us. I have been your host, Lucien Shakir, and it has been an absolute pleasure to spend my time with these phenomenal women. <laughs>